before we start to make sure everybody's awake. I don't know. That sounds like something Don would do. He always wants to lead at the VBS. I think he would do it if you get Joe up here to do it with him, but I don't know that that would ever happen maybe before before this. He tried. He does try VBS. Not every Sunday, don't worry. But uh, um, I appreciate Don picking out the songs and uh, the time that we could uh, spend together in singing this afternoon. Uh, and as we said, we do want to continue our thoughts from this morning. Uh, we said to, of course, be a baby. Uh, and we established this morning that a new birth is necessary, that for all of us, in some form or fashion, we have to be a baby when we are spiritually born again. Uh, and so that means something to us. And we talked a little bit about that. But as you, you know, looked at the titles, and again, if you would ask about it this morning or kind of made mention, we said that we're going to change this afternoon the title to Don't Be a Baby. But, of course, I was being a little misleading with the titles because really, as you think about what Scripture has to say about this, the afternoon lesson would better be titled, Don't Stay a Baby, right? Because we said this morning, we have to be born again. Uh, that great passage with Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 there, that we are to be born again. And even the encouragement. You know, we concluded this morning sort of at the, the conclusion also leading into the invitation song there. We said... That actually the statement in Peter, from Peter's first epistle and other places, in and of themselves is not a bad thing. For someone just to say that you are babes, you are born again, that's just a statement in as much as a baby is born. But the encouragement that we're going to talk about this afternoon is don't stay a baby. You know, we could say that we have in the church... And I want to be careful, I'm, I'm not trying to accuse anybody, or I'm, I'm not thinking of a person or anything like that, but we have in the church in general, and it's possible, even in this congregation, a, a group this size, this number of people, it is possible that it may be even in this congregation that we have 60-year-old or 70-year-old or 80-year-old babies. And of course, meaning in the spiritual sense. That it doesn't matter if you're baptized when you're 14 or if you're baptized when you're 50 or 60 because I would suggest that, you know, we don't often have 60 and 70 and 80-year-olds that are baptized, certainly not here for any particular reason, maybe in lots of places. People are typically when they're, they're younger. So if we've got 60 and 70 and 80-year-old babies, the problem is what we're going to talk about this afternoon is that many people feel like being baptized is the largest step they can take the biggest thing they can do, and then that's it. And so they're content to stay in this spiritual infancy, if you will. Now, again, I, I'm not, you know, just kind of mentioning the congregation here because of the group this size. I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not thinking of the, but when we think about the church even in general, it's true that we have folks that fill a seat in the pew who would be considered spiritually, even as we talked about 3 John chapter, or verse number 2 this morning, that if we could use our vision, our glasses, and look at someone, they would be an infant sitting in the pew. We said this morning that, yes, new birth is required. There's no need to go back over that or all the verses that we've already touched on to sort of lay that foundation. But new birth, to be born again, to be a spiritual infant, a baby, is absolutely without a doubt required. Which is why we can preach a sermon as we did this morning and a title as we had this morning. But as we're going to see this afternoon, yes, new birth is required, but also spiritual growth is required. You know, as we think about that, that is something that's challenging for any age. 
As I mentioned a moment ago, we sometimes have older people, and that's just a general term, by the way, you know, if you mean somebody who's 40 or 50 or whatever, but older people who are baptized. But certainly in the church, we often see our young people. And I think about some of the most recent baptisms we had up here have been among our young people at camp or here at the congregation. As they have listened and learned and been brought to services, they think about it and they want to be baptized. And so, yes, we look at them, and they're still growing. They're still growing. So we think, ah, that's easy. I understand that. The problem is for many of us, even if we were baptized at a younger age, we sort of think, well, that's, that's not for me. I'm not worried about that. That's not a big deal. Spiritual birth, being born again, is required, but spiritual growth is required as, as well. I hope that you have your Bible handy because certainly to begin, we're going to look at four or five or six different passages here to help us lay this out, passages that just sort of put it out there for us. The first one we'll mention is where we, where we spent a lot of time this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2, Peter says again, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The encouragement that that's the purpose, that's the point, that's what we're after. It's not just because it tastes good. Again, thinking of the idea of milk and meat. You know, somebody says, well, I love steak, so I grow, and I, I grow up and I, I'm going to eat meat and I just like the way it tastes. Well, you know, that's, that's not what is being said here that you just, well, because it tastes good or because it makes me happy. You take the pure, sincere milk of the word that you may grow because you are to grow. You cannot just simply stay where you are. Peter's encouragement here is, is not the first, but it's definitely strong as well. And even as we concluded this morning by mentioning verse 3, that if or since indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious... You know, when I think of that, I think of Philippians chapter 4 when Paul talks about the peace that passes all understanding. That's what I thought of because once I have continued to be in the Word and I read about the peace and I feel that peace because I've been in the Word, I don't want anything else. There's nothing else in this world that can take the place of the life-giving source of the Word of God. And so I'm going to seek that out. And once I've tasted that the Lord is good and gracious, that's where I'm going to turn time and time again for whatever it be that I may face. And that's going to help me grow because that's the goal, that we continue to grow. Number two, let's look at Hebrews chapter 5, not too far back in your Bible, but Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, another place that we commonly think of when we talk about this kind of concept. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. A little less of the encouragement that Peter gives. Hey, take the milk that you may grow. But a little more of the, the hard line, you know, here's something to think about. Here's something that you need to be encouraged by because you're not doing it. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Once again, I, I kind of read this earlier in the week and I was thinking, in one sense I can read it, and to be a babe is not necessarily derogatory here. For a babe is one who partakes in milk. They're simply unskilled. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. A baby can only have milk. A spiritual infant only needs the, the milk of the word. 
But then there is this idea in which the Hebrew writer says, but you, you shouldn't stay there. And for many of you, you've been Christians for a while, but you are still there. You should have improved. You should have grown in the same way that we take a child to the doctor. And at some point, right, it may not be that first visit. It may not be that second visit. But if there is a problem, at some point, the doctor says, we're supposed to be here on the growth chart or what? We're supposed to be hitting these markers and we're not. And so we've got a problem. Maybe may need medicine, may need more something else, more vitamin, whatever it might be. But we've got to do something to get further along. You ought to be teachers, but instead you need someone to teach you again. That's not encouragement in that they're doing things that are right. That's encouragement that they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing or they're missing the mark and they need to be better. So yes, we need to be born again. But yes, both the words of Peter and the words of the Hebrew writer is do not stay there. Do not stay there because that is going to be a problem. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There's actually a few passages here around this section. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 6, Paul says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, for our purpose, we're going to kind of skip over a, a good portion of this but he says we're speaking wisdom among those who are mature able to handle it right we cannot talk physics to a baby or a child and different levels I know physics is a big term to pick and it may be a deep subject but you can say anything there's a level in which we're not speaking to children he says we are speaking to those who are who are mature then go down to chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 and he says and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. And go down and look at verses 3 and 4 and see that their problem is a word that's at least in the New King James there, divisions. You see, what Paul is saying is, is that they had been Christians for several years, yet they were still babies. And their immaturity was shown forth because they're still fussing like kids. Right? He says, you're supposed to be grown. You're supposed to be mature. I know you don't have it all figured out when you come out of the water, but you should be mature by now, at least to some level, and yet you're still acting like children. He says, I speak to you as to babes in Christ. And I don't think that, again, is in the encouraging kind of way. That is in the way of saying you need to be better. Do not be immature. Quit fussing, as we tell our kids even today, and grow up a little bit. So we are to grow spiritually. While we're in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 20. And here Paul says it plainly. There doesn't take a lot of discussion here, right? Brethren, do not be children in understanding. This is the verse, by the way, this morning, if you were with us, I tried to pull this from memory and I couldn't get it. But here it is where he says, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. We said this morning that we were to put off malice, and I tried to reference this verse, but couldn't remember the actual uh, chapter and verse. But here it is, be babes in malice, be, be children in that way when it comes to, to that kind of attitude, but you are to be matured. 
Do not be children in understanding. Paul has been talking, and I don't know if you have notes in your Bible, but remember here he's talking about spiritual gifts. In particular, in chapter 14, he's talking about tongues. I said you may not have notes, but you may have headings in your Bible, I meant to say as well. But if you look around there in chapter 14, he's talking about tongues. Go back to chapter 13, which we think of as the love chapter, and it talks about that, but it also makes a mention of tongues and of spiritual gifts. And here's what he's doing to them. He's offering a rebuke to them here in chapter 14 and verse number 20. He's saying, stop acting like children. Don't show off your gift. That's the problem they have here. They're saying, look at me. Look at me. I can speak in tongues. I can do this. I can do that. Drawing attention to themselves. And he says, stop acting like children. Grow up and stop saying, look at me. Because if you are grown, if you are mature, if you had the understanding you should have, then you wouldn't be acting like this. So we see time and a time and again the encouragement to grow. One more here before we go to a, a full-fledged example that I promised you we'd get around to. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. That we should no longer be children. We should no longer be children. We could leave it at that. But Paul continues on by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness or deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Here's this idea to begin this wonderful section of scripture, right? The, the Ephesian epistle and how much wonderfulness is included here. And you get to chapter 5 and there's marriage and chapter 6 and the family and the, the whole armor of God wonderful bit of scripture here and he says don't be children but grow up when you're children you're tossed to and fro something new comes around and you like that something new comes about and you think you want to be a part of that and you're always chasing around what's popular what's the latest thing what you can obtain or have or who you can be with to feel connected to be wanted to something like that stop being children who are always going back and forth. Be grounded. Grow up. But don't just grow up. Grow up into Jesus Christ, who is the head. All of these passages here tell us that we cannot stop. That we cannot stop. We cannot think that we've got it figured out. Even as we said this morning, you need to be a baby. Don't stay a baby. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. And what I'd like to do is give you a lesson here in Nicodemus. And I don't know if you like to make notes. This may be a great place. We're going to look at three passages. Did you know or have you ever studied before that Nicodemus is mentioned three times? And I think that while we don't usually say it, it's a pretty good lesson for what we're talking about this afternoon. John chapter 3, Nicodemus meets Jesus. He meets Jesus, right? Sort of this, I've heard about you I know that I'm seeing all these miracles and all these things couldn't be done by somebody unless they're connected with God. I've got questions, but he meets Jesus. Now go forward to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 45 through 52. John 7, 45 through 52. And here the officers and Pharisees and others are trying to 
attack Jesus, right? Or to bring him in, to arrest him, the things that, that have happened. They're questioning him. And look, beginning in verse number 50, 50 excuse me, 5-0 through 52. And here Nicodemus defends Jesus. He defends Jesus. We see from verse number 50, this is the same man we're talking about. And he asks the question, does our law, <coughs> excuse me, judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? So in, in one way, he is asking the question to try to delay or to put off, and he is defending Jesus. Now go forward to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42. John 19, 38 through 42. And here Nicodemus buries Jesus. Now, that's not in the negative sense, right? Sometimes we say that if you're trying to run somebody over, you know, or, or badmouth them or whatever, and you, we say you buried somebody. Not that, but he's assisting with the burial, of course, of Joseph of Arimathea in verse number 38. Verse 39, and Nicodemus, a reminder, the same one who came to Jesus by night, also came. He meets Jesus, he defends Jesus, and he assists with the burial of Jesus. I think we've seen somebody who has grown through their life. I know we don't get lots of details that might be a bit of a step out or just on a bit about we don't read a lot else, but he seems to go from that very first meeting where he's a little unsure, he doesn't quite understand and he comes by night to avoid maybe some confrontation with others to where he defends him and he's there at his burial. Nicodemus seems to grow. We too should continue to grow. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, number one, we have to study, right? We think about 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. We made mention of this this morning, but 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Even down in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Paul encourages Timothy, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, and that from a childhood... From childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. We have to continue to study. Our encouragement this morning was to feed and desire on the milk, on the Word of God. Here's the question. The question is, how many days go by before you feed your body physically? And maybe the better question, right, is not how many days, but how many hours go by before you feed your body physically. And as Gabe mentioned in his prayers and others do, we say from time to time, we mentioned this morning, we are not wanting for nutrition, for food. We feed ourselves. Some of us always make the joke, well, you know, I've not missed a meal lately, you know. Uh, yes, we do not miss meals. We feed our body physically. The question, the real question then is, how long do you go without feeding your body spiritually? And I'm not talking simply about 1030 1 7 o'clock on Wednesday, because for some people, that's it. And if we only ate three meals a day, we would be malnourished. We would not be growing. How do we have spiritual growth? We continue to study. Number two, I shortened it for the bulletin and for space here, but we push, we push ourselves. We push ourselves. Again, from Hebrews, we've already looked there, but Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12 for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. 
What does that sound like? It sounds like people who stopped pushing themselves. They rested on their laurels and said, I'm good right here. I don't have to do that. And they stopped trying and they stopped pushing themselves to get better. We talk about this a lot sometimes when it comes to sports, right? Some of our young men and others and ladies are involved with sports and things. We say, you know, you can be on the team. You can wear the jersey. I mean, you can be on the team. But if you want to play, if you want to get better, you've got to push yourself. You've got to go further than you think you can. You've got to go harder than you think you can. It takes effort. Losing weight, right? Just in general, it takes pushing yourself. Sure, you can get up off the couch and walk, walk to the kitchen and walk back to the couch and say you've done some exercise for the day. But that's not pushing yourself to truly exercise if you want to see some weight loss. When it comes to our spiritual selves, many people put this off as something that they just can't do. And when I'm talking about it as well as you know, things like teaching, back to Hebrews chapter 5, you ought to be teachers, but you need to be taught. Some people sit back in the pew and say constantly, well, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not me. I don't have that talent until they keep regressing and get weaker and weaker. And if we're being honest and, and the Hebrew writers showed up and looked at us, they'd say, you ought to be a teacher. But instead, you've sat so long and you've not pushed yourself at all, you need to be taught again the first principles. Think about trying something and pushing yourself. What if a kid never walked right again going back to the doctor example you show up at the doctor's office and the doctor wants to see progress what if a kid never walked I know that parents encourage them to and they, they kind of want to but but if a kid never tried to do something they would never grow my mom was here last weekend and we actually kind of had a, a conversation she's taught uh, psychology and sociology for a long time at the high school level and I, the question kind of came up this is a little off subject but just the question kind of came up you know how does a person learn the language they learn, you know? How do we learn English? Why don't we just are born and we speak German or Mexican or Spanish, you know, or whatever? Well, the reason is because you're around, you know, you learn what you're around. And she said in, in, her, in her classes, they've had studies done where if there was a person, say a mother, who was in confinement, you know, like maybe by somebody being held against their will in a locked room and never let out, delivers a baby, and for whatever reason, that baby never sees a person walk, guess what? They won't walk. <laughs> they don't know what people do, right? It's second nature to us. They've done studies before or seen kids like that who were never around people that spoke. You know what that baby does? It doesn't speak because it never learns at all. Yet our normal culture is that we, you know, babies learn. They watch their parents. They learn to speak English, to say mama or dada or to walk, and they go. How often do we feel like we've just been locked away in a room and we've never done anything? You know, we never push ourselves at all. Do you want to grow spiritually? You have to push yourself a little bit. It could be teaching. We talk about that a lot here, needing teachers, wanting people to teach. But it could be in other ways as well. This is from this morning, so we won't belabor the point here, but you need to put off things. How do you grow spiritually? Back to 1 Peter chapter 2, you put off malice, deceit, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speaking or the backbiting. Again, most of you were with us this morning, and we won't go on and on about it. But if you want to grow spiritually, you've got to put some things off. A person who is baptized for the remission of their sins, they're added to the church, they're spiritual newborn, you can't keep holding on to those things that are going to pull you down. You've got to put them off, and when you do that, you're able to grow. 
If you have something that's holding you back, that's pulling on your shoulders, pulling you down, you're going to see stunted growth. Put off the evil things. Put off the worldly things that want to hold you down. That's how you grow. As we conclude this morning here, how do we know? If that's how we do it, how do we know that we've grown spiritually? Well, number one, we have the ability to handle things. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 14, right, we mentioned verse number 12 a moment ago. But in verse number 14, the Hebrew writer says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So a person who is of full age, a person who is grown, is able to exercise their senses and say, that's good and that's bad. I need to be doing these things and avoiding those things. The ability to handle temptations comes as you grow. A person who, how, how many people do you know? How many people who you might have studied with before? And maybe they're baptized, but it's less than a year and maybe even less than a couple of months, and they're no longer coming to church services, they're going back to their worldly ways, and you wonder what the problem is. Well, they're a newborn, and, and they're not able to handle the temptations just yet because they've not had their senses exercised. They're not broken and ready to handle these things. How do you know when you're spiritually grown as you are able, you're not perfect, but able to handle some of these things? If you are a 60 or 70 or 80 year old or 40 or 50, whatever, you're old Christian and you're still succumbing to temptation all the time, not every once in a while, not struggle, we all struggle in sin, but all the time it feels like that maybe you're not grown just yet and you need to do something to help yourself grow, like study and pray and all these things we mentioned a few moments ago. The psalmist would say in Psalm 119 and verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. You're grown when the word is hidden in your heart and you're not sinning against God. You're able to handle the temptations of this life. Not perfect, but you're better equipped to discern both good and evil. And sometimes we see people struggle with that and we know that that is, that is the problem. We look at him and we say, well, you know, I've seen your body, I've seen your face at the building for a long time, but I feel like you've just never quite grown. You're just content to stay in that spiritual infancy. What about we're able to handle struggles as well? Not just the temptations, but the struggles of this life. What does the psalmist say in Psalms chapter 1, Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3? That God blesses us when we delight in his word, when we meditate in it day and night. He helps us with those things. That's what's on our mind. That's what's on our heart. When we face those various things, if we've read scripture in the morning and then we go to work and we face the struggle. If we come home at night and there's something that we're struggling with, but we're going to spend time in the word of God, meditating in his law day and night, we are blessed. None of us are perfect, but we know that we are growing mature when we're able to handle things. And what about when we're able to help others? Again, teaching in the context of classes. How do we know we're grown? We're able to help others because we've studied and we know. 
I pick on Jerry Corbin a lot, but he and I have said this multiple times. But how often do we learn something when we teach, right? We joke about Revelation. You know how I'm going to learn most about Revelation probably? Try to teach it, right? I'm going to put the time and effort into it, and my ability to help others means that I'm, I've grown some. But not just in classes. What about the gospel, plain and simple? Are you able to teach someone the gospel? Are you that spiritually mature, or are you still a spiritual infant? And, of course, what about mentoring? We've mentioned that we talked about this not too long ago in the men's Bible study on Monday night. But 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That mentoring further and further. Are you mentoring other young people? And I mean that again in general. Some of you 50, 60, 70, 80-year-olds could mentor somebody who's 20 or 30. Ever, all of us could mentor the young people. Are you doing that or do you feel like you still need help because you've never grown in your life? We are in a, that stage in our life, in our family, in particular the Danley family, where it's kind of hard to think about our kids getting older. Right? We don't really want to think about having a senior in high school. We don't want to think about Campbell getting older and all these things. But at least for a little bit of time now, it's great to watch your kids grow. Some of you, many of you have raised kids and they're gone. But how wonderful it is when they take that first step. When they say mom or dad for the first time. As they begin to do these things, it's encouraging. And I think again about the words of John. This time, not 3 John 2, but 3 John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John says there's nothing that's going to make me happier than seeing you, not my five-year-olds, but you, my children, and you're growing. I think the same thing should be true for us. Do not stay a baby. Grow, mature, and bring great joy to the Father above and to the family of God. You can do it by some of the things we've mentioned, particularly as we've said all along today through the Word of God. You can know you've done it as you grow and you're able to handle things in life and you're able to help others. We have to be a baby in the sense that we have to be born again. But we, each one of us, have a choice to not stay in spiritual infancy. With that in mind, we conclude this lesson and we extend heaven's invitation. As we did this morning, maybe there's someone here this afternoon who needs to be born again. But also, maybe there's someone who has stayed in spiritual infancy and would like the help of their family. Maybe that's not even the problem. As we usually say, the invitation is open to all. And maybe it's something else that is amiss in your life that you'd like forgiveness of. Or maybe it's simply the prayers of your brothers and sisters to help you along the way through the struggles of this life. Let's not stay the same. Let's keep growing, even now as we stand together and as we sing.